How you guys doing today? I know I asked you that earlier. That was a good catch. I need applause. Uh, <laughs> um, I know I asked you that earlier. How you, how are you guys doing today? I'm, I have a lot of nerves going on because of this open flame. I feel like I'm going to kick it and burn us all down. So pray for me um, as I'm up here. Uh, I, I need you to pray for a couple of things, right? I, I'm going to pray for the, the word here in a second. But I need you to pray for a couple of things. I've run through this sermon about four times. Each time it's an hour and a half. I only got 45 minutes. All right. So if you want to get out of here, start praying as <laughs> deep and heavy that we get out of here on time. OK. The other thing is you guys might not have seen me last week if you came last week. Um, that's because I've been having eye problems. Right. And my eyes just burn out of nowhere and I start crying profusely. Um, so if you see me up here crying and I'm not talking about anything that is emotionally tugging, I do not have a concussion. Uh, it's just my eyes. I might take a moment and put drops in, um, but pray for me. Um, and I, I want to pray for us all. I know I just prayed, but I want to pray for us all as we kind of take in this, this sermon. Um, and I, and I, I, I want us to hear uh, with ears the gospel again. Um, if you're here and you've heard the gospel before, I want the gospel to continue to dig into your heart. If you're here and, and you haven't heard the gospel before, you have, and it hasn't rang true. My prayer is today it will for you. God, I, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is effective, that your gospel is the power for salvation for those who believe. I pray, Lord God, that, that, that your gospel would be delivered today to your people, God, and you would snatch hearts towards you. You would encourage hearts to encourage others. God, I pray, Lord God, that what you do, Lord, through your word would be done. I pray, Lord God, that anything that I am saying, Lord God, would fall into the background as your Holy Spirit um, speaks to the heart of your people. I pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, I'm, I'm a little nervous, other than the flame, right? I'm a little nervous um, because I got up at 4 o'clock this morning to finish the sermon, right? And uh, the reason why I got up at 4 o'clock this morning to finish the sermon is because, not because it's a difficult sermon, but it's the exact opposite. This, this sermon right here is is the 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 center um it's the dream for a gospel center preacher right these three sermons over the the one that brian gave last week about jesus the eternal god i'm giving um jesus as the human sacrifice and then stanley's going to give jesus as the risen savior man that is the gospel no chaser right that is the pure gospel and for someone who loves the gospel i love preaching about marriage and i love preaching about parenting I love talking uh, about what it means to be good, holy people. But more than anything, what gets me up in the morning, what gets me excited is to see and hear people learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I had a bunch of options on this, on this, uh, this sermon. And so Monday, I got a text from my, my, my good friend Brian. He said, man, what are you preaching on? Uh, I need to, to, to schedule the service. I need to figure out what I'm going to do. I said, I'm tweaking. Call me back tomorrow. He called me back the next day. Dude, I really need to know what you're going to preach on. And so 
I, I came up with some things, but this morning, I'm not changing, Brian, you don't have to work. Uh, uh, th this morning, um, what, what I really came to is that we need to simplify. We, we need to simplify how we hear this story. And we need to hear it again, right? Because I think over time, what has happened is this story has become part of every story we've ever heard. We have the story of, of the, the dead hero who, saved, who, who sacrificed himself for the rest of the world, right? That story is incorporated into so much of our pop culture. It's incorporated into everything that we, that everything that we know because we know the story of Jesus, right? And over time, what has happened is we've become familiar with that story. And we don't reconsider what that story means for us in our everyday life. And so there's a couple of scriptures that, that, that really typify what the gospel is and why God had to come and why he had to sacrifice as a human being. And the way to get that to that, right, the way to really understand that is to understand the chorus of all, all the, the prophets, to understand all of them. And that would take me about four weeks to do a continuous preaching. I already told you, I'm, I cut it down to an hour and a half. I even have to cut it down more than that, right? Um, so I can't give you all of the, the, the prophets, but what I can give you is one prophet that he, he, he is a summary of all the prophets, and that's Isaiah, right? And Isaiah has this, this funny thing, right? In the beginning of Isaiah, um, we see him get straight into him gets straight into his prophecy. We don't get anything about where he came from or who Isaiah is other than who his daddy is, right? They, the first thing that, that they tell us about Isaiah is Isaiah, son, son of Amos. I'm not saying that right. Uh, Isaiah, son of Amos, and then he goes straight into the prophecy itself. And for most people, this doesn't make sense because most prophets start with some introduction of who it is, some bona fides of who it is that we're talking about. And that we, we start to get to know the prophet first. But here in Isaiah, we go straight to the, the, we go straight into the, the, um, the prophet, the, the prophecies itself. And then in chapter six, then they introduce us to Isaiah. Then they tell us his, his origin story. Why is that? Well, the reason why that is, is because those first, those first five chapters of Isaiah is what's called an overture, right? For, for those of you in, who are into music, you realize what an overture is. It's when we start to hear the themes of the song that we're going to hear over the course of the symphony or the orchestra that we're going to hear, right? For those of you who have no interest in like classical music or anything, you're still probably familiar with this concept. If you think about Mary Poppins, right? In the beginning of Mary Poppins, they start playing this music of what you're going to hear. So you hear a spoonful of shrimp and medicine, right? Then the next thing you hear is uh, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Hey, uh, so you you get all of these these sounds of what you're going to hear, and it makes you familiar with everything that you're going to encounter through the music from now on. And so that starts to shape how you feel about that music. It starts to shape how you will encounter that music. And so Isaiah, in the first part of his book, in chapter one, he starts to introduce these things, right? 
that we will encounter from, from chapter 6 to 66. And, and the first thing that he, he, he delivers is this conundrum. It's a question that we have to ask. Now, he doesn't deliver it as a question. But if you pay close attention, he, does it, he, he makes a sentence that doesn't make sense. Right? So he says in Isaiah 1 and 2, he says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Now he says this, and it, it echoes all of the prophets. And, and that's this, this, this idea that they are both my people. He uses my. They're, they're my, my people do not understand. But he also says they are not my people. And so we have this conundrum of, of Isaiah telling us that we are his and we are not his, right? Of, or the people of Israel are his and they're not his. At the same time, grammatically, that sentence doesn't make sense. And so what he's telling us by placing this in the overture is, hey, we're going to be dealing with this theme of how we can be gods. But at the same time, we're not. And then further down in uh, verse 1 and 11, um, uh, uh, Isaiah says what to me in the voice of the Lord he says what to me is the multitudes of sacrifices says the Lord I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well fed beasts I do not delight in the bull, blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats and so for us this you know most of you have never sacrificed an animal, hopefully, right? Like none of you have gone out back. Uh, I know, I know that the Evans have a, a have a goat. Hopefully, they're not going and sacrificing the goat to some god, right? We, we we don't have that experience of what it's like to make sacrifices. But for for the Jewish hearer, this would have been disturbing. He, they've heard two things now that really would have disturbed them, right? If, if, if you have ever been in a, a relationship with a close friend and you feel that relationship start to, to pull away, right? Or if you've been in a marriage and you've gotten into arguments that you felt like the next day you guys were going to go to the lawyer and break it off, right? And there's this gut-wrenching feeling of the, the loss of a loved one. If you've ever argued with your adult child or argued with your, your older parents and you felt like you'll never talk to them again because it was the, the relationship was so broken that you'll never be able to reclaim it. That's what the, the, the Jewish people would feel like if they heard this. They would hear that, that they are no longer God's people. They, they would hear, oh, okay, the, the very thing that makes us covenant, uh, have covenant with God, the fact that we can sacrifice and be made right to him he no longer wants that. That would disturb them because they, they would know he, he, he doesn't want covenant with us anymore. That we are not his. That we are losing this relationship that is the closest of relationships. This is what identifies us as us. They were losing everything. And, and, and so to, to really understand, we, we, we have to kind of go back. Um, and like I always say, go back to Genesis. 
right? And so I, I want I want to bring us back up to to where we are in the story, right? Where where it what, what was Isaiah speaking to as he was as he was saying this and what he'll say in chapter fifty two and fifty three, which we'll get to, right? Why why was he um, having a conversation about God's people no longer being God's people? Any good story starts in a beginning where they start to sprinkle seeds. My wife hates watching movies with me, right? Because halfway through, I'll say, it's the guy in red. He did it, right? And she'll say, shut up, I don't want to hear it, <laughs> right? Because I'll ruin the, the show for her because for me, I get enjoyment out of, out of figuring out what's going on. So I want us to figure out what's going on in the story. In the beginning, God created a very good earth. He, a good God, created a good earth. And then in that, that earth, he made something in his image. He made it in his image and he called it very good. And that very good thing decided for itself that it would no longer reflect who God was, but make up for itself what was good and evil, right? And that's how we, that's how the world broke because God made his image and he made it to rule over the earth but the, the image no longer reflected him and broke the world. And from that, there were these curses given, right? These curses of what would happen to man. And there's, there's this prophecy in that curse, and it talks about that there will be a, a descendant of Adam and Eve who will crush the head of the snake, but whose heel will be bruised. And so we read that, but we don't quite understand it, right? We, we understand it because we have a view of the whole Bible, but if we were to take it from Genesis and just try to understand it from there, it wouldn't make much sense. And that just dangles out there for chapters and chapters, years and years, over a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, more thousands years will pass, and that prophecy will just sit out there unanswered. Who is this, who is this head-crushing descendant of Eve that will that will make a difference for sin, that will kill the, the very tempter of men. And we don't find the answer to that, but what we do find out is the consequence of sin. We see that the nature of sin is to intensify. Over time, sin will get worse and worse and worse. And so what happens is Adam and Eve sin by choosing for themselves, but then they see their son one who is jealous of the other, one son killed the other son. And Adam and Eve, we, we hear that story and we think of Cain, but when, but when you think of Adam and Eve, they see their sin in their sons and they see a lost son who dies and then another son who they have mixed feelings about because he killed their other child, but they, that's still their baby. And so we see the sin intensify. And then from there, we see it intensified more. So we get to this character called Lamech, who looks to Cain and says, if Cain sins, man, I sin 70 times more than that. And so we see the intensification of sin in individuals. And so some of us might think, okay, I see how individuals are a problem. But you know, when, when you get us all together, humanity together, the best of us together, maybe, maybe then we will do what is right in the eyes of all. 
right? Maybe then we'll be able to bring back, bring ourselves back from the brink of sin and destruction and instead see ourselves as, as the right, the, the rightful um, inheritors of God's love. But what happens is we start over in the Tower of Babel that looks just like, looks like, just like Eden and Adam and Eve. And so a group of people gather themselves together and decide for themselves that they're going to be like them. And what God does is just like Adam and Eve were kicked out of the, the garden, he says, look, I'm going to scatter you all so that you can't build yourself up to look up. And so at the Tower of Babel, he, he scatters What happens is that that sin intensifies. And so we go from the Tower of Babel to the times of Noah where God the stench of the people's sin, God can no longer stand, and he wipes the whole thing. And why does he do that? Because sin is ravaging his creation, his creation. Okay, so we, we see that groups don't work and individuals don't work, so maybe what will work is if we had a hero that was connected to God. Maybe if God God reintroduced himself and started to be a part of the process like he was in, in the garden where he walked with Adam and Eve. Maybe then, maybe then we would get, we would get um, a, a, a cure to sin. Maybe the person that God talked about, that he promised would come, the, the one who would crush the head of the snake, maybe he would come then. And so God anticipates our, our, our request and, and goes in and, and chooses Noah. And then after Noah, who is counted as righteous, after Noah gets on his, his boat and all the animals he's like, right? after he gets on his boat, gets off his boat, this is the crazy thing that happens. He gets alone in his boat, gets a little drunk, and then something crazy happens to him that we don't really know. All we know is that it's bad enough that we don't do it. They say his son saw his nature, his son did Right? So now we see that it doesn't work with, with Noah. Well, let's try again. You get to, to Abram, and Abram is chosen among the pagans, and, and Abram is, is chosen to be the, the, the head of the household for God's old people. God will reveal himself to a specific people for the purposes of bringing blessings to the whole world. And so Abram becomes Abraham. And a covenant is drawn, and there is this love affair going on between Abram, Abraham, and God, and Abraham's house. And God chooses this people for himself, and he says, man, I'm for you, you be for me. But something, you get an inkling that something's wrong, but Abraham, at every turn, does something a little bit off. When God promises that, that he will have a baby from Sarah, he's like, ah, yeah, I'm not sure about that, God. Uh, there's this handmaid that I would Right? And so he has Ishmael, which is the, the wrong child. We see over and over again, whenever Abraham is threatened to lie and call Sarah his half sister, and so Sarah is a weird situation where she kind of has to protect herself from, from these men that are, are looking to play on. So we don't, we don't see that savior in, in the greatest of our heroes of, 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 of Abraham, nor do we see it in Moses, 
Moses messes up, and nor do we see it in David. David messes up over and over and over again throughout the narrative of the Bible. We see these heroes arise, and God starts to name them that that they are um, the men after their, his own heart, that they will be the Savior, the Deliverer of the people of Israel. Over and over again, we see this, and over and over again, we see sin prevail, that the, 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 the head of the snake is not crushed. And after a thousand, thousands of years, you have to start to think that maybe this thing isn't going to work. And, and so we get to the, the point that we have gotten to Isaiah and the people of Israel. In, in chapter 1, I didn't read the scripture, but in, 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 in chapter 1 of Isaiah, um, Isaiah compares the people of Israel to Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? And he says, look, if it wasn't for the fact that God is going to save some of us, we would be as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. God is going to wipe us. And so the people that God chose for him, the people that God said would be his people, that would be a blessing to all the nations, to all the earth, that his salvation would come to. When, he, when we look in Psalms, he talks about that there is a, that there is a Savior coming from the house of David, that, that, there, that there is a, uh, we read this earlier, that from the stump of, of Jesse, that we would, we would have a Savior that would be born and that he would deliver us from the problems that we have and does it for all of the nations. We see that in that in that overture of Isaiah. Um, as he goes into chapter two and chapter three, he not only declares for Israel that they will be saved, he also says to the nations that the nations will be saved by this faith that is coming. But over and over again we, we lack we, we, we lack evidence of that of that the sacrifice that is necessary. And so we get to chapter 52 and 53. For us, those are two, two different chapters for Isaiah, that's one problem. So I'm going to start in the middle of that. That's Isaiah 52 and 53. And here's, here's, here's what Isaiah starts to say after he's given the overture of, of what questions that he has. He speaks into that and says, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth the salvation of our God. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all nations. Depart, depart, go out from there, such no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, purify yourself. You to bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in hate, and you shall not go in flight. And for the Lord will be, go before you. And the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished, his appearance was so marked beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told to them they speak, and that which they have not understood, which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and out of a root, out of the dry ground, 
and, and had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire of him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow, and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrow, yet we esteemed him as stricken smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he has oppressed he was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its tears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as far as his generation, he considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, and put as and he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall cease his offspring, and he shall prolong his days. The, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, and out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant, and make many to be counted righteous. Let me read that again. By his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant make many to be counted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide a portion with the many, and he shall divide the soul because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of men and made intercession for him. And so finally, after thousands of years, Isaiah speaks to that 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 descendant that will crush the head of him. And we see that this sacrifice that he did, I, I'm not going to read it, but in, in Hebrews 8, 9, and 10, chapters 8, 9, and 10, after, after the service, you get translated. They, they speak to the, speak to the writer of Hebrews, speaks to the issue of why we no longer sacrifice what we saw at the beginning of that. That God no longer wanted animal after animal after animal. And the, the reason why he says in, in, in chapter 8 is because that was a temporary thing. And over and over again, sin would invade. Sin would invade um, people's lives. And they would sacrifice only to do that sin over and over. There was no permanent solution for, for, for the sin that plagued him. Ever since the beginning of time, all the way into the time of Isaiah, all the way to now. Sin over and over again in Babylon. We see it when we when we look to a drink to help us through it, or, or we look to a man or a woman to make us. 
a look to to an activity to 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 satisfy ourselves. Over and over again, we look to these things hoping to be satisfied, but we all that ends up happening is that sin re-enters and makes those things not good. Because the, the drink may help you lose weight, but in the end, the, the eating healthy may make your body well for a moment, but in the end, you will die. When you when you meet a person who you love, that might make you happy for a moment. But the sin of you or the sin of them, some point, will be successful. Because there can be no peace for And our hope cannot be satisfied where there's sin. But the sacrifice of Jesus has brought us peace as a human sacrifice, he stands as the perfect embodiment of the lamb slain so that he paid it all. And we would never have to go back to that wedding. That's what salvation is. And, 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 and so, I really, from that, there, there's just one point about this. So I think Christ speaks to what the response to this must be. In Luke 9 and 22, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, he raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after him, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow him. So whoever would save, whoever would save his life, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save him. For what does it profit a man gain the world and lose his forfeiture? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. When he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the Holy Spirit. But I tell you, there are some standing who do not think that until they see you. One of my favorite movies of this is Never in the Clear. Let me know if you know. Okay. For those of you who have not seen the Never in the Story, I appreciate you. Go after this, after you Hebrews, go watch Never in the Story. Right? Um, and it, it might be a little corny now, but as a as a as a two-year-old kid watching this, I was in wrong with the never Because you have this little this little boy named Bastion and little boy, little Bastion was a dreamer, right? Little Bastion really didn't he really didn't have his feet on the ground and his dad kept telling him, Man, you gotta stop dreaming. You gotta put your feet on the ground. So Bastion runs off after his dad, and he was a bully little kid, so he's running away from these bullies, and he runs into the shop, and he steals this man's book. The author never deals with him, right? Never talks about the kid DMT. But he steals this book called The Never Ending Story. And The Never Ending Story, the, the man who he stole the book from tells him, hey, you don't want to read that book because this book comes alive. This book has real effects. And so, 
that little bastard steals that boat, and he runs off and he skips school. I still don't understand how this is supposed to be a good thing for me as a 10-year-old to take from. But he steals the, the book and he skips school and I almost uh, uh he, he skips school and he runs up into the attic of the school and he's gone all night. I don't know what's up with his dad, but he's gone all night reading this book. And I fall in love and, and if you watch this movie, you fall in love with the story because there's these two people, these two main characters in the story. There is a Treyu and the Princess. Right? And a, a Treyu is this little bad boy. He is he is an amazing warrior, and he walks on the scene. He's the most unsuspecting hero that you've ever seen. He walks in, and he walks with his horse, and his horse goes with a bit of despair. I ain't got no confession, but I'm about to cry. Right, so he goes to the pit of despair, and the little horse dies, and I'm crying. I'm crying, y'all, because this, is, this just got real, and, and he's going through the pit of despair, and then we go through all these ups and downs with the train. Treyu is the hero of the story, and then he gets to the end. He gets to the end of his journey, and it's just him and the princess who he's been looking to save. And he's talking to this princess, and he says, what can I do to make this right? The nothingness has come, and the nothingness is breaking the whole world. The whole world is being broken by the nothingness. How do we stop the nothingness? And the princess looks at Atreyu and says, there's a little boy, and he's reading this book right now. And if he would believe, he doesn't believe, but if he would believe, his world and our world would be changed. And then in that moment, she looked directly in the camera, she was crying, that's the time I'm from. Right? And she said, Bastion, say my name and believe. Bastion looks at the book, gets up and says, I, I can't believe that she's talking to me. Uh, my feet needs to be firmly set on the ground. I can't, I can't believe this. And she screams. Everything starts to break. You see the nothingness come. And the princess screams and says, Bastion, say my name. He gets up. He runs to the broken window, screams outside her name, and he says, I believe. And everything is made right in an instant. Now, me and you aren't quite that. And Jesus is the main point of the story, but he's not a story. But in this scripture, in, in, in Luke 9 and 22, Jesus invites us in to be a part of his sacrifice. And he looks outside of the course of time. We were not there in, in 33 AD. We were not there when Isaiah preached what he preached in, in 500 AD. We weren't there for any of that. But Jesus looks across time to right now and he invites us in and he says, Look, if you believe in what I did on the cross, then pick up your cross and follow me daily. And so there, there are, are two categories of people that I want to talk about. I don't know what you want to talk about. I don't know what you want to Maybe for you, never heard of the sacrifice that ended all sacrifice that made us right with God that you never again need to look for a minute. And if that's you, Jesus is calling out to you and saying, Hey, my name is There are other, others of us who 
that I've heard that call, that bumped out of my mind, I ran to the window and said, said the name and believe. That day was wrong. But I was comfortable. That was supposed to be a part of my life. That sacrifice that I did because of the sacrifice of the of the greatest man ever walking in. A world that we could not reach because the nothing, the sin of our life, had broken our world as it broke every world before the sin. Every person who ever lived encountered sin because they rightfully sinned in the tradition of Adam and Eve. But you have brought us righteousness where none could be brought. You have obtained the penalty of sin so that you no longer have. I pray for those who have never heard God. God, I pray for God to be brought into your love. I pray for God to be brought into I pray for God that you would sit someone around them. I pray that they would see one of their Christians here or be after service, but that we would be able to have a conversation about what it looks like to be brought into the life of God. I pray for those who want not to be themselves, who want your love to prevail in their life. But God, it's not sometimes we don't hear them. Sometimes we don't hear all of them. So we are sitting here tonight, turning one back to God, because your love is the only way to salvation. Your love is the only way to salvation.